Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. This is God's word for you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Katie. All right, and you may be seated. Last week, we had our first week here at the Kalen Center. Feels good to be doing this a second time. Uh, <laughs> we learned a few things. We continue to learn a few things. And uh, it's amazing, though, to not be like checking the weather forecast to figure out if we can do church. So, so thankful to be here and thankful that you took time to be here with us. As we enter into this new season, we are pausing to just say, like, who are we as a church? What is this group of people all about? What makes the parish distinct? Uh, and what kind of community are we going to be? And so last week we began with this idea that there is a work that God has for us as a people, and that is what the word liturgy means. Uh, Those of you who may come from more mainline church backgrounds may be familiar with that word liturgy. Liturgy simply means the work of the people, and uh, and that's what we're asking. Like, what is the work of this people? What is the unique... uh, task, vocation, calling, presence that the parish has in Alpharetta. Now, liturgy, as we said last week, is not an exclusively religious word. It's any private or public pattern that is shaping the kind of people that we are becoming. And as a result of that, uh, we would do well to just pay attention to the liturgies of our lives because we are subtly shaped by those. In, In this sense, we are all liturgical, In this sense, we are all disciples of something. We are being discipled by whatever public or private patterns are shaping the kind of people that we are becoming. And so for many of us, maybe like it's time for a new liturgy. Maybe it's time for a fresh liturgy or a reset or reclaiming of the liturgy of our lives. And so the question we're asking as we begin this new season is like, is there any distinctively Christian way to live right now? Because there is, it feels like, just a unique moment in history right now, at least in my life right now, where it really matters that Christians show up as Christians. 
Um, that's going to really matter in how we as a, as a society find our way through this season that we are in. And so as a way of rooting ourselves, reminding ourselves who we are, we're considering, like, what's the work of this people? And it starts with the question we asked last week. So let me get us all ca- caught up on what we talked about last week. The question begins with this, like, who are we following? What is the way, before we can talk about the work of the people, what is the way of the people? Who is pioneering the way we are following because we don't have to figure out who to, like, how to live if we can figure out who we're following. <laughs> because then we, the one we're following tells us how to live. And uh, so whose dust is kicked up on us while we trail behind? And we considered last week that Jesus is described many ways in Scripture. And in our culture, many of us think of Jesus as Son of God or as Savior. And certainly he is those things. But primarily... The way people address Jesus in Scripture is as a teacher or a rabbi. He is the one who helps us know how to live. He is a master in the art of living, and just as every rabbi did in those days, Jesus the rabbi has a particular yoke or way that we as his followers are to live. He has a particular perspective on how to live life well. 268 times. Someone comes up to Jesus and says, rabbi, or is it described as disciple of the rabbi? And so we've got this master of living, and we can go to Jesus to say, what do we do in a moment like this? Now, often we're so focused on the death of Jesus to make doctrinal understandings of the death of Jesus, we forget about the life of Jesus And yet the life of Jesus is so essential in helping us make sense of a paradigm we can actually follow as human beings. The death of Jesus beautifully reveals God's way and God's heart, but the life of Jesus gives us a paradigm that we can follow. And so Jesus then is not merely saving us for the next life. He's not merely looking for converts to Christianity so much as he is looking for apprentices to the way of the kingdom of God, and all of us are invited in. Jesus says, follow me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. There is a way of life, an eternal way of life that can start right now. All right, so that's the goal. That's the aim. And now we're going to begin turning ourselves to this question of, well, then what is the work of this people? If we know that's the way, that we would apprentice our lives around the way of Jesus, how do we do it? What does it look like to walk in that way? And why is it that if you woke up this morning and went to any number of churches, this way would be described radically differently depending on which building you were sitting in, right? Like, we got to just be honest about that. Uh, That's a reality. Why is that? How can this way be described so differently? And I want us to just imagine for a moment, just rewind in your mind way back in human history to when all the followers of Jesus were sitting in one living room together. And everybody agreed on how to live this way. Everybody probably had personal experience with Jesus. And there was agreement and clarity on how to follow this way. But now imagine that somewhere along the way, one of those followers goes, I just had this incredible prayer time. Or I just had this incredible worship experience. Or I just had this incredible theological understanding come to me. I need to tell you about it. Because this was so great for me, I want to share it with you. And as that happens, others are like, you know what, you're right, you're onto something. And you follow that down through human history, and we end up somewhere like this. (laughs) 
These are the major denominational groups and heresies within Christianity. Uh, and, and, and if that's confusing, this next one's even more uh, fun to look at. Obviously, you can't see that or make sense of that, but that is a very, very simplistic understanding of the different denominations that exist in the world right now. And uh, Richard Foster puts it this way. Uh, go to the next one for me. He says, over the centuries, some precious teaching or vital experience is neglected until at the appropriate moment, a person or movement arises to correct the omission. And numbers of people come under that renewed teaching, but soon vested interests resist this new movement, so it's cut off from the other pre-existing streams. In time, it forms its own structures and community life, often in isolation from the other Christian traditions and communities. So if you'll go back for me to that one before, that little graphic that we have there. So this is where we end up, right? And as time goes on, the church is getting more schismed, more separated, and more specialized. Each church has its own unique thing, its own unique flavor. And this is not all bad. Partly this is what we should expect in a world where there's 80 different kinds of shampoo and 3,000 different kinds of ice cream. It's just the world that we live in. But if the current trend holds, we're going to see a more scattered picture. In the year 1800, there were an estimated 500 denominations for those who study these things. This morning, there are 40,000 and if the pattern holds by the year 2100, 80 years from now, 79 years from now, there will be 260,000 denominations within the stream of Christianity, right? So, like, no wonder we're not sure what the way is, because there's 260,000 different, you know, emphasis on what the way is. And where we find ourselves then is offshoot upon offshoot and tributary upon tributary, and each has their own important contribution, but we're missing the great river of living water. We're missing the great stream that holds it all together, and I believe that Jesus might be thinking, or might be calling us to go back upstream, to go back to the headwaters, to go back to the source, to get swept up again in the whole thing. And that's one of the things I think that the parish can lean into in this season, or if we were to shift the metaphor... The center of the parish is this table. This table was built by David Darnell a few weeks ago. Thank you, David. Uh, it's beautiful. It's meaningful. It's personal. Like, this is our table, right? And the reason it's in the center of the room and the reason it's at the center of the gathering is it is at the center of everything that we do as a church. And we are not going to uh, primarily try to gather around music or around a sermon. What we gather around is this table. And everything else is a ramp up to this table because it is here at this table that we meet Jesus in some sort of meaningful and mysterious way. We believe Jesus is actually here, like having a feast with us. And so it always culminates at the feast of the great thanksgiving, just like it was with Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. It is here that we lean against the chest of Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We pray with Jesus. We cry with Jesus. We suffer with Jesus. We laugh with Jesus. Just like the father in the famous wayward son's story, it always ends in a meal. Some of us are off in the far country. Some of us are off in the fields working. But Jesus wants us to come back and have the fatted calf together. Just like the wedding at Cana where the water becomes wine or the feeding of the 5,000 where the little bit that we have becomes more. The feast is magnified by the presence of Jesus in it. And so if Jesus is inviting us to this broad 
inclusive, beautiful, expansive, life-giving feast, we need a big enough table for the feast. We need a big enough table. If we're going to walk through a world where there's cosmic darkness, like Jim read, we need the whole armor, not just like the one sword, but the whole armor. And so unintentionally what happens is churches fall in love with one piece of the armor, or churches fall in love with one leg of the table. And we build the whole thing around that, but we end up, imagine this table here, holding up the grace feast with only one leg. What's going to happen? The table gets out of balance. The table gets off balance, and the table begins to lean, and the meal begins to be wasted, and we end up walking away hungry and hurt. And I've seen so many examples of this, I imagine you have too, where what began as a really good, healthy re-emphasis eventually becomes what the whole thing is about until we end up so off-balanced that we begin trying to protect that way over and against all the other ways we misuse or abuse one part of faith by taking it to an unhealthy extreme. And then people go, this isn't working. So they walk away from it, which makes sense. In some ways, rightfully so, to walk away from it. There's this whole ex-evangelical movement happening right now, and I relate to a lot of it, because there have been excesses and misuses and disordered loves in parts of the evangelical church in the last 20 years, which is my tradition. I'm critiquing my own tradition, right? But what I see is that people walk away from it thinking they're having to walk away from Christianity, not realizing this is just one little bit of the stream. There's this giant, giant river, and you can critique and, and shift from that one little part of the stream without having to say, I'm opting out of the entire thing. And so the good news is we belong to a thousands of year old, robust, rooted, sturdy, time-tested feast of a tradition. And we can swim out past the tides of our preferred tributary and, and, and get beyond the small perspective we're used to of our own personal faith and see that the major offshoots of the church all have something important to teach us, but they're not the whole thing. And what would it look like for us to try to reclaim more of it rather than being this kind of church or that kind of church or this kind of church? I want to have all of what I find in Jesus. All of what I find in Jesus, because that's the way that can hold up a feast for a whole lifetime. Often we're drawn into one tradition for a part of our story, but then eventually we find it's not working for me anymore. And this is where Jesus invites us into a broader understanding of what this meal is all about. And so working together, the table legs form a liturgy. The table legs hold up the great feast. And so what I want to invite us into as we think about who are we as a church is I want us to be a kind of church that can hold up a big enough table, a big enough meal for all of us. We need a big enough table. Over the years, different scholars have tried to name the dominant streams of the church. They've tried to take that, you know, kind of crazy graph we saw and trace it all back to the major splitting points and to figure out, like, what are the major streams of this whole thing? Richard Foster has done some incredible work on this, and he has a great book called Streams of Living Water, if you want to dive deeper into it. But generally, those who study these things, they kind of break down into something like this. There are some church traditions that really prioritize solitude, prayer, contemplation, discernment, union with God. Think about the church fathers and mothers. Think about the mystics. Think about what we may call the contemplative stream or in some ways the charismatic stream of the church. We want to say yes to that. 
There are some church traditions that really major on holiness and virtue, that Jesus teaches us a new way to live that actually like changes how we show up in the world in very practical ways. And, and these are the ways that take Scripture seriously and that encourage us to be formed into the likeness of Christ. We might call this the evangelical stream, rightly understood, that, that there is a good news of how to live and we are invited into it that we might then become messengers of it back into the world. Some traditions lean heavy on the table leg of of the church's historic creeds and sacraments and liturgies and prayers, and this might be what we call the liturgical stream. And typically, if you just look at the list already so far, these are three streams that don't talk to each other very much. These are three streams that are broken into different parts of the globe. These are three streams that would do well to be strengthened and informed by one another and yet typically see those. I mean, I was taught, literally, I was taught, like, oh, those are God's frozen chosen over there, but they don't really understand. Like, what we have is the real, the real thing, right? Others emphasize a Christian's work and witness in the world through justice, through peacemaking, through compassion, through service. We might think of this as the missional or the social justice traditions of the church. Others emphasize this encounter with the power of Jesus' spirit, the work and the gifts and the, the, the healing and the, 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 the presence and encounter of the Holy Spirit. We might think of this as the charismatic expression or the Pentecostal expression of the church. I grew up in that last tradition, the charismatic expression was kind of my, my uh, home territory when I was a kid, coming up in the vineyard in four square churches, and I still hold to so much of that, believe that there is a power of the Holy Spirit showing up in our lives in, in profound, sometimes supernatural, sometimes very subtle, ordinary ways. Last week when everything was happening with Afghanistan, I found myself like just praying in tongues to myself, Right? And I, I won't do the whole sermon on that. That would throw us into a whole different category, right? But, but for me, I want to hold to some of those gifts, right? And yet at the same time, that table leg gets really wobbly when it overemphasizes faith above faithfulness, like my faith, me believing the right thing, above Jesus' faithfulness to me, when it overemphasizes the supernaturally, supernatural over the sacrificial. And so coming up in the charismatic stream, that was great, as long as everything was working in my life, and then I went through a period of chronic pain and suffering, and the, t- the table leg had nothing to say to me other than try harder and have more faith. Like, believe more. Believe more, because if you're not seeing the Spirit move in the way that, at least in my tradition, it was framed as the Spirit has to move, you're doing it wrong. And so I became the problem, and then I'm like, where is God, and what am I doing wrong, and I'm trying to figure this out, and, and, and what I found was my tradition actually started getting away from me, like distancing from me, because I was this implicit threat to the whole system, because my life had gone off course, and yet I didn't know what to do about it. And again, so many lose their faith over this, and I was grateful to have been in a program at the time that introduced me to the other streams of our great faith, such as the dark night of the soul. In the Paschal Mystery, where we go through patterns of death and, and, and suffering and resurrection into new life, and it helped me make sense of this season that I was going through. And so I want to say to us as a church, we need a faith that has room for miraculous healing at this table. I've seen it. I've seen it. And yet we also need a faith that understands that Jesus hasn't abandoned us when we're in the dark nights where we don't see the healing happen the way we, we want it to. 
We need a contemplative faith to pay attention to like what is happening in my own soul, my own inner labyrinth. But we also need an active vocational faith that sends us out beyond ourselves to serve the world. We need the liturgical and the sacramental to keep us grounded and steady in this transcendent faith, but we need the spirit of the charismatic movement prompting a response and a spontaneity in this imminent faith. We need the whole thing. And having the whole thing is what saved my faith. So I want to invite you, like whatever table leg you're used to, like lean into the gifts of that. Celebrate that. But let's build a big enough table. Let's build up a big enough table for the whole life, for this whole community, so that we can all come to the feast together. Here's how we're going to try to do that, and I'll wrap it up with this. When you walked in today, you got one of these cards, and on the back of the Connect card is this picture of a table. And I just want to walk through this together, and then we're going to go through it in detail over the coming weeks. How do we as the parish build a big enough table? The way I make sense of this invitation is through those words that Katie read. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Let me tell you how to live. Take my yoke upon you, and here's what I'm inviting you to do. Oh, yeah, I forgot to read it. Come to me. (laughs) Get away with me. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then he says these words, this fourfold invitation. Come to me. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. And so if you'll go back to that table illustration, those are the the four invitations we're going to lean on. The prayer-filled life or what we may call the contemplative stream. And the invitation from Jesus is this, come to me, come to me. The second leg we're going to try to stand on is this deeply formed life, the formational, virtuous, holiness stream where Jesus says, walk with me, get covered in my dust, and let me show you the way to live. The third leg is the kingdom-directed life where Jesus says, work with me, And I'll show you what your unique contribution to this world is and how to take a real rest, a Sabbath rest, and how to work for the good of the world through justice and mission and compassion. And the fourth stream, watch how I do it because we can do the things Jesus did in a spirit that is utterly different than the way Jesus did it. So we rely on the charismatic presence of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the sacraments, the spirit and the sacraments keep us rooted and grounded and responsive and ready to watch and respond to how Jesus does it. And so you've got this chart here that goes into detail on the practices, the traditions, the steps we're invited to, and we'll go through it over the coming weeks. What does it look like for us to say yes to this whole great river But it starts with this, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus does in the way Jesus does it. If we can be a church that does those things, and in fact, if we could see the church do those things, wow, what a change that would be for our world. Our kids in elementary are going to be learning the same thing in their language and in their time together. They're going to learn that Jesus prays and Jesus lives his life with God and Jesus loves others and Jesus works with the Holy Spirit. So they'll be following along on this same kind of big enough table liturgy that they can get their arms wrapped around this broad and expansive feast. Let's take a few minutes and I'm going to invite David to come up here. And what I want to do is just end here with a time of practice. Because we talked about a lot of like ideas in the head this morning, and they're important. But what matters most is not the table legs, it's what's on top of the table. It's the great feast itself. 
And so David's going to play, and I'm going to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And we're just going to enter a story together about a great feast. Because the more we care about the feast, the more we're going to care about the table and who's invited to it. And would you imagine using the gift of your own creativity, a father, and he's sitting around a fatted calf, he's been marinating it all day, he's been wondering who will show up for the feast. And he's got this one son, we all know his story, his one son has gone wayward. He's forgotten the way of the people. And he's out in the far country. He's living in pig sloth and he's making poor decisions and he's wrestling with his own shame and how he found himself in this place. And something inside him hears the father's beckoning. Come to me. Come to me. Come to this table. Come to this feast. Dine with me. And he begins his journey home. There's another son. He's wayward in his own way. It's really the story of the prodigal sons. Because this one's got his act together and he's doing all the right stuff, but his heart's not in the right place and he's burned out on religion. And he's grouchy and he's self-righteous and he's judgmental. And as he begins to complain, the father says to him, Son, daughter, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. So would you come to this feast? Would you not get offended about who else is invited? And would you pull up a chair and dine with me? Whichever of those wayward children you relate to, would you just imagine with the gift of your own imagination right now, hearing the Father's call to come. And whatever anxieties or stresses or busyness has been occupying your days and keeping you from really hearing that, that beckoning, would you, would you hear it now? show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. And as you walk toward the Father, see the Father run toward you. 
He doesn't even have any shoes on, but he's running through the dirt. He's kicking up that dust to meet you wherever you are and to bring you home to the table. And let's just take a moment of confession here. We won't do our liturgical confession this morning. I'm going to pull an audible. Instead, just confess in your own heart right now the ways you've been estranged from God and your desire to return home. Father's words to you, my son, my daughter, I've got a robe for you, I've got a ring for you, welcome home, come to the table and feast with me, the feast is ready and you're invited and you are forgiven.